Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I am Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. Brian D. McCain, and we're going to discuss a little bit later what the D stands for. So we are here with our good friend, Roxy Paganelli, who is running for county commissioner in Pueblo County. Uh, we wanted her to come on the show. She's uh, been a great Action 22 member for a really long time. I've personally known Roxy for more years than we're going to say. Um, and we wanted to visit with her a little bit because this is an interesting, the entire state is actually watching this particular race. But I wanted to go back. So um, I first met Roxy when I was a senior in high school and it was Roxy's first year teaching and she was going to take over the debate program. So the reason we were at two different schools, but we would often, um, cause of financial, the debate teams from Rye High School and Pueblo County High School would travel together. So we got to know each other really, really well. And I asked you about this the other day and I feel really bad. Did we figure out what the coach's name was that was out there? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am the biggest jerk ever. She and was I wonderful. Say Mrs. Crawford or, oh. oh, that's not it. But I hadn't known her because I came in and this was a second career for me. So, I had just moved back to Pueblo, having been gone for many years, and she was gone when I was asked to come and teach at the school. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was really just sort of a, a handoff for you, but I remember you helping to coach the debate team, and so um, which is was a great way to start because you've been – Ever since then, you've been super involved with um, with kids and with education, but from not from the sports side of it, but from really that thinking, development, getting involved side of it. So it's really cool to see you kind of continue that sort of education side of it. So, Thank you. So tell us, tell everybody, our listeners, and we have listeners from literally all over the world, but all over Colorado in particular – but tell us a little bit about you, and so everybody else gets to know who you are. Great. Well, um, I grew up in Pueblo, and after I graduated high school, I went away to college in Fort Collins and in Boulder, and then I left for many years. I spent my career all over North America, both co- uh, both countries, the entire continent, actually working in the professional entertainment industry, in theater, in music, dance. And then it culminated, and my husband was Canadian, and so we lived in both countries, which was phenomenal. I had the opportunity to literally live in Halifax, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Thunder Bay for a short stint, uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, Denver, New York, and then it all culminated in ending up in um, New Haven, Connecticut, where I was a faculty at the Yale School of Drama teaching management to producers of entertainment, you know, uh, uh, entities. And then I moved back. There was a lot of struggle in my family. My mother was dying. Um, I was going through a little bit of a rocky divorce, not, not tumultuous, but certainly where you come to a point, what's best for your kids. 
And so I moved back and decided that with everything I had in my purview, that I was going to bring this to this community. So I was asked by District 70 to come and create a theater program. We have extraordinarily talented kids here. The music, the dance, the actors, we produce some of the most amazing talent. So I went to County High, became the speech and debate coach, became the drama teacher, eventually ran the union and created a wall-to-wall, all entities, including the teachers in one, and was able to develop a lot of programs, develop um, the opportunity for academies to create, created an academy at County High, a performing arts academy, which is a very specific career and tech and professional uh, higher ed pathway for kids that want to go into the arts. We're actually going to start developing one in the next year in Pueblo West High for law and justice with the Junior Police Academy. Yeah. And there's a School of Engineering and Biomed, SEEBS. There's also AMAC for the trades and Mm -hmm. for construction. So, you know, coming back was a great opportunity for me to be able to bring it all back, to give back, to serve on a lot of boards, create a lot of projects where I could develop the um, well-being of children and families. That's, uh, just going back, um, so you were teaching kind of the business side of the entertainment industry, which when I I went to art school, I, I went to school for art. Um, and one thing that they made us do was you had to take business classes because, you know, if you're going to be an artist and do this and it, and it was both with the theater and, you know, the drama and stuff. But then I, I took a hiatus. I, I was in the military and had to leave college for a bit. And then when I came back, they got rid of that aspect of mm. it. And I, I thought that was kind of not a good thing because if you're going to go into the creative field, you have to have that business expertise or at least an understanding of it to be successful. Yeah. And, and that, that's awesome. That's Yeah, it's always been really interesting to me. I have one of these kind of left brain, right brain, mm-hmm. and I worked as an actor, as a director, as a dramaturg, which is a script doctor, yeah. a producer. I was a dancer at one time. But I'm very interested in how we sustain the business, mm-hmm. and so that's how we make money. And it's show business, and you have to make money, mm-hmm. whether it's selling a ticket and a T-shirt or getting a big donation. And for a lot of arts organizations and for people going into any aspect, if you don't know how to make money, mm-hmm. you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're always begging. Yep. Well, there's always the begging part of it anyway. Yeah, You need to be a starving artist that has some business sense. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. So that's essentially my my life. I I just had great opportunity to be able to develop that creative side and that whole business side and create small businesses of my own with small companies and and flourish. And, um, you know, for me, it... It encouraged and taught my own children that they could be artists and sustain. My older son, who went to South High and then studied at Loyola Marymount in California, is a creative director for a firm in L.A. And he's a kind of a mid-level DJ, mm-hmm. travels the world, but he's, you know, he's not Skrillex, but he might open for him. Yeah. And then my younger son, who's a jazz musician, went to Centennial. You know, these kids got great education in District 60. 
And Barclay went to the Berkeley School of Music, IU, which is oh, wow. a marvelous school in Bloomington, yeah. and just graduated with a doctorate in jazz from USC. Wow. So, you know, I want people to know that if you learn to sustain, you can survive as an artist. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's that easy, but if we discourage all the artists, we'll have none. We can't yep. have that. True. Yep. I've always thought that the creative arts, whether it's visual art, performing arts, is like a very important part of education. And it, it terrifies me when you see that go away from schools. And I, I know that with budgets and money that that's usually the first to get cut. Right. Um, but they need that. Like that teaches you how to think. I learned more in art history about the history of the world than I did in history in college because yeah. it's such, the arts are such an ingrained piece of society um, up until recently, but for the majority of human society and human history, the arts were ingrained with society 100% all the time. And it's sad to see that us kind of step away from that. Well, you're right. And it's, um, it is and was a critical component of a fully, fully fledged education that yes. we learned from the Greeks. Yep. You know, and interestingly, if your kid goes, my sister-in-law, um, they have money. And if your kids go to private schools, you know, the ones that cost about 30000 a year just tuition for grade eight, mm-hmm. they demand that they take the arts. Mm-hmm. Those children have that in their education because it is critical thinking, because it does give them a sense of culture and compassion. It teaches empathy. You know, the arts are a civilizing force mm-hmm. in our society. And we could live without music, without dance, without theater. We could live without it. We simply wouldn't know why we were here. Yes. Mm. And, and, and that is very true because we learn about who we are and how we survive as opposed to just crawling around on the bottom of the Maslow's, you know, right. eating, sleeping. This is higher order of thinking. You know, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really passionate about it because I think for a lot of us we could – we could study other things. We could be lawyers or doctors or however we deemed. But when it becomes the kind of religion to you that you see how it engages people in in a community, in a marriage of thought and tolerance and ideas, we, we can't lose it from schools. I could talk about this all day. But <laughs> Me too, sorry. <laughs> but, no, that, but, 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 yeah. Well, I get... Um, you know, it was a turn around and come back and, and try to pay it forward because really schools, um, they're not getting that. So um, you've you've worked in the same school district that my kids are in, that my husband teaches in. Um, I'm desperately trying to get the speech and debate program back up and running to get um, – I came back and I, I did the um, I did the drama. As a, as a volunteer, because I wanted to see those things go. But those, when I stopped doing it, those things haven't happened um, really in an effective way since then. So it takes the, a community to put value on it, but you have to make um, education, um, the, the value of education. I think that's the other part of it that sort of gets lost. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, sort of your thoughts on, on how to – do a better job with education, but I want to give everybody um, the background that you are looking at it, not just from the students, but you also um, were instrumental in for um, teachers unions here that you served. Um, you ran the teachers union 
for um, District 70. So you can, you've gotten from administrative side, from a teaching side, and from the student side, you've seen, you've done the whole thing. So what what's going to make a difference on education here? Because, you know, you and I have had lots of conversations about how frustrated we are with how we value um, education in this state. Right. Well, you know, here's the thing is that, first of all, I believe that the Department of Education should be under the Department of Defense in this country, and, I, and I'm not joking. And I'll tell you why. Your best defense as a country mm-hmm. is an educated public. We have failed in many ways in that we had an expectation that each state and each local, if you will, each school district would be able to govern in a way that they would flourish. The notion of education was never put in the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the U.S. Constitution. The founding fathers, if you will, deemed that why do that? Every state's going to look after their own people. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not so good at it. We failed. And I think, obviously, it always comes down to money. But at the end of the day, if we don't see it as a priority and we are seeing what's happening, we have no teachers. Mm -hmm. We can't recruit teachers. And people do not realize how hard teachers really work because there's this mythology that, oh, they get three months off in the summer. You know, they're paid throughout the year for those days that they actually teach so that they don't go without a check. We also are not understanding that the level of stress and the level of change and cultural change on children is just staggering. We are in an epidemic that the single largest cause of death for children 10 to 14 in this country is suicide. Their mental health is waning. What does that have to do with education? Children are in schools longer than they are with their parents sometimes just by virtue of work and sports and drama. We need mental health workers in the schools. Part of my own platform for running is to put some of the social workers in the schools, Mm -hmm. wraparound services. The children are there. Let's accommodate them. Sometimes it's not easy even for heightened professionals, let alone people working three jobs, to get their kid to services. But the children are there. So we have to begin with looking after the mental health and the well-being of children to diversify what they're studying, how they're studying. Not every kid is going to go to law school or be an engineer. You know, that's that old Sputnik theory that if we teach them all math and science, we'll be able to beat the Russians. Well, in fact, that's not the proclivity of every child. The trades are exceptional educations, plumbers, you know, construction workers, engineers, uh, electricians. So I think what's going to have to happen, I just read today that the ballot issue will come up for us to vote on feeding all the children, which is imminent, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous that we're even debating it in the richest country in the world. Feed everybody in the Mm -hmm. building during the day. Everybody. Custodians, teachers, principals, children. The next is being able to do that extraordinary funding to the tune of about, I think it was about six or seven hundred million, but instead we got the checks, the Mm Tabor checks. What was problematic about that, and that would come up in the next ballot, was that they didn't get enough signatures. I think what will happen is it will go to, um, and this is to recruit and retain teachers, I think it will go back to legislation where rather than it having to go through them and signed by the governor, 
the voters will vote. And I, I do believe in the Colorado community. I do believe in the voter that we're starting to see, oops, we're in trouble here. We're in peril. This is the richest country in the world. And public education should be the richest and the finest. Every child deserves to have the kind of quality education, in my opinion, that those children are getting at Valor Christian. Mm-hmm. What's the diff? And rich people don't make better parents. So let's make sure that we all get what our kids need. I think that that voting will go in a way. I think that we will see more academies where we can design pathways for the proclivity of a child, what they want to study, where they feel they can get ahead. And I also think we need to encourage them to think about it at a little younger age. Sometimes we're like, oh, you know, they don't know yet. Let's wait till they're a senior. That's too late. Mm -hmm. So we agree. Um, we agree with you on that. I, you look at um, where the funding goes, where the teacher support goes, where some of the these things, I think one of the most complicated, well, I know for a fact that the the most complicating fiscal policy for any state is Colorado's. And the fight every year is over how we fund the schools. There's It's every single year that we, we have a discussion and what we take away or what we put in other places um, instead of in the schools and in the education. So I've got to ask you, along that vein, what um, what does a county commissioner have to do with this bigger, clearly a vision that you're passionate about, a bigger um, picture on how to do that? Sure. Um, I think that I'm not going to criticize our current government in different capacities because that would be ignorant on my part. But I do have an observation keenly, and I see this in the way we work throughout the country, is that people work in silos, Mm -hmm. and there isn't enough collaboration. And I know that both school districts can work together with the city and the county to begin looking at where do we want to be? What kind of industry do we want here? Do we want engineers? Do we want to manufacture some of the most beautiful stone, you know, or tile, or beef up the mill, whatever it is, let's start to look at how we develop children's studies from grade six to matriculate to the high schools, to matriculate to the colleges, and or to vote tech and trade programs, so we create our own labor, and our own professionals that cities are doing all over. Mm-hmm. Las Cruces, New Mexico... They develop an engineer program. Those children start in grade six. They matriculate all the way to the university, and they have cores of engineers. Now, maybe they don't all stay, but you can develop those kinds of programs. Pittsburgh did that when they went in through an industry change. So I know education. I know it very well. I also know so many people up on the hill. And um, obviously our our uh, senators and, and some of the Congress people, that we can create opportunities for federal grants, that we can create programs here. We need to start working together because as we are in silos, it always becomes a finger-pointing exercise. Wow, we couldn't get them to do this. We, 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 we can't have that vocabulary anymore. Yeah, yeah. So obviously education is a big part of your platform that you're running on. Um, and, and I've asked this to every candidate that we've had on so far. If you walk down the street and you talk to just any random person in Pueblo, say, what's the issue? 
Like what's the, the big thing that's bugging you right now? More recently, it's, you know, gas prices, prices of food, you know, the economy. But that aside, it's public safety. Oh, yeah. That the the biggest one that, and I listened to my dad, and God bless him, you know, but it's like, oh, all these homeless people, yeah. you know, my car's broken into, ah, you know. What's some ideas? How are you going to address that? If you get elected to county commissioner, what are you going to do for Pueblo County to basically fix that or can't really fix it with a magic wand, but you know what I mean? What's your solutions to the, the crime, um, the homelessness, et cetera. And I, I say crime and homelessness and I don't mean to mix them as the same thing, but they are in this together. There's a, a direct correlation with crime, homelessness and what we're seeing in Pueblo. So what's some solution, some solutions that you're working on? Sure. So, you know, it's the, the homeless issue and the crime issue is um, across the country, first yeah. of all. Yes. Um, and just to clarify, education I'm very passionate about, but I would say probably the single largest issue, and I know that has to be addressed because I live downtown yes. in what I call the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> is, yeah. um, is, is crime. And heinous crime is what is really taxing our law enforcement. Heinous crime are those very serious sort of almost gang-related, that kind of crime. And 50% of your heinous crime is done by 7% of your criminals. Mm -hmm. I've been working with a group on the peripheral that I would like to bring Pueblo into, and it's a national crime coalition that is run by Thomas Apt, who wrote Bleeding Out, and he is one of the foremost scholars on crime and heinous crime and crime in, in cities. And I... I learned from him that by virtue of giving him information about Pueblo, and we are, we're this anomaly mm-hmm. because we sit at the vortex of I-25 and 50 where we have some of the highest drug trafficking and human trafficking in the country. Yes. We house, just down the road, the only supermax left in the country. We have individuals there who still run their business with people who are coming into our community. Yes. That faction is heinous crime. It taxes our law enforcement where they cannot really be as effective and and also in recruitment for the kind of crime that we live with day to day. None of it is acceptable, and you're not going to eradicate all of it, but we have to come together and be a part of that coalition. And, in fact, they will assist. And there's people on this all over the country, the mayor of Chicago. You know, we're talking about a very serious effort, looking at how do we identify those individuals, isolate those individuals, eradicate them, you know, not by putting them in, killing them. Certainly they have, they have to be in prison if it's deemed, but to be able to change how they live amongst us and why are they living and destroying our community. The homeless issue is an extreme fallout of the fact that we have a state hospital that is not fully funded. I will go after the state on this one, and they know it. We need to be fully funded. You want Pueblo to have a supermax down the road? You want Pueblo to have the state hospital and it's not fully funded? The state hospital is full of forensic criminals, or forensic, you know, insane. We don't have hospital beds in the hospitals. If your child, any child, has suicidal ideation, you can't take them to Parkview. You can't take them to Health Solutions. They're maxed out. You can't take them to the state hospital. We have to identify 
Are they addicts? Are they truly sick, mentally ill? And that can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And we're human beings. And whatever you do to the least of my brothers, right? Mm -hmm. So that has to be fixed. The individuals who are addicts, who are, you know, robbing from... It's interesting. The donut, I talked to an individual today. The donut is where the robberies are occurring. That other kind of heinous crime and, and homeless crime is happening within the city because they congregate in different areas. Yeah. We're going to have to come together and make some very serious decisions about where we're going to put the homeless so that they can have some dignity. I mean, you know, this isn't like let's make Soylent green. These are human beings and how we create a plan. But they also have to be somewhere where maybe there are facilities, toilets, mm-hmm. showers. There are they're not going to go away with us ignoring it Mm -hmm. and ignoring it because I live over here. You know, you can live in one of the most extraordinary neighborhoods on the peripheral and your car can be stolen like that. You can live downtown and you're not going to go outside at night after 10 o'clock. This is a serious issue that, and I believe that the police department and the sheriff's department and the city and the county will all commit to fixing it. Yes. But you have to get out there. And that's why I began researching it and found this coalition, Mm -hmm. which I said, and I was told, this is an anomaly. You are in trouble. I want the FBI back in Pueblo. We need the FBI. This kind of level of crime, as I speak about the heinous crime, Having that other entity to work with our people is what we need where we have so many variables that maybe don't exist in Salida yeah, yeah. or even Trinidad. Yeah. So, I mean, it it sounds ridiculously complicated on the outset, but in fact, you have to begin somewhere. And I And I firmly believe if other cities are doing it and it's working for them, then we need to learn from that. So if there's any federal um, lawmakers listening, we need to bump up that height of funding for the region. Thank Just you. saying. So let me ask you, you know, we um, we talked about this, and you hear um, our Pueblo County DA, Jeff Chosner, talk about this all the time, that when they changed the law, you, I think it was session before last, where um, up to $2,000 or eighteen between that $1,800 to $2,000, there was no repercussions. You can you can do damage. You can steal cash. You can steal whatever you want, up to two thousand um, dollars at a time without having any repercussions. Has that, in your opinion, affected that? What what is that going to? What is that impact for the county? So, you know, no silver bullet, but I will say that we do have a jail full of people that had a petty crime or a petty theft or felony or forgive me with the nomenclature, but they're still there because they couldn't pay their bail. Like get them out. But we do have to look at restorative practice. People do have to be responsible. We don't just slap you on the wrist and go, ah, we're really crowded in the jail. Go away. We have to look at how are you restoring yourself? Because if you don't get those practices so that you can become a better citizen, so that you can find ways where you're not stealing to live or to eat, or because you've never had bad behavior, um, you know, modified, then at the end of the day, you, you don't get a pass. And I, and, and I think so. And I, I know Jeff and I know him very well. 
and I understand his frustration, but it's not just one way or the other. You know, we have to be able to create forms of restorative practice and restorative justice that we should be doing in the schools. We don't do that. We expel you. And after that, you'll go to an online program, which ultimately can create a school-to-prison pipeline because you're being isolated. You're being trained to do it. The schools are not to blame for not wanting to do it. Again, it's a funding thing. Mm-hmm. How do? But if we can put some of our social services people in the schools, if we can develop, you know, work with our law enforcement so they can be training kids. They're not a threat in the building, but they're actually teaching, mm-hmm. you know, being a part of it. Then I think we then I think we have a again a beginning. I don't like the term, I'm going to change this and I'm going to change that because sometimes I think we've gotten so far off the mark or maybe we've been so taxed. We just need to begin again. Just begin again. Begin again. Interesting. So that leads to the other, another one of the things that we are constantly hearing about, um, big concerns. And it's this, um, it's, it has to do with that space, um, in between the, um, uh, benefits cliff and housing, uh, the housing that we need to move forward to to pay for things and for people to work and stay here. They can't afford it, um, but there's there's a definite um, getting people into the workforce. There's a benefits cliff, so we hear about benefit cliff constantly and housing, affordable, accessible housing for people who are working and trying to to live here. Affordable housing is um, absolutely the next necessity in Pueblo. We're not going to get teachers to come. We're not going to get nurses. We're not going to get law enforcement. We, we simply can't expect people that someone can say, but, oh, that's a pretty good salary. Not if you have a family and you, the average cost of a house now has gone up to three fifty, four hundred. You know, 800, 900 in Salida. Colorado's on fire. People want to live here. But we also need to have people that are sustainable and, and critical aspects of developing our communities. Tax incentives for those for affordable housing is something we need to do. And we need to do with the city and we need to do with the state. Because again, Pueblo has been held accountable for expectations for the state that nobody else seems to have to deal with. The, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a union advocate and I was a union leader. We had a wall to wall in 70, which meant every position was in our uh, association. Unions and professional associations with a negotiated contract are an absolute necessity to ensure and maintain workable wages and a dignified workplace. It's not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. We have to engage our people to let them see what the budget is, to teach them how it works. I think you guys are going to be doing this very thing with people. When you understand where the money's coming from, because what you, when, when you don't know what you don't know, you make it up. But when you are a part of the partnership at the table and you understand, okay, I see we can only go for this percentage. And the other side says, oh, they really understand this budget. We, we all have to speak our truth, full transparency. Then we work together. You don't want to negotiate with each individual person. Mm-hmm. You can do that in a corporation, but even Apple doesn't do that. 
Trust me, there's all various levels of incentive, you know. So I think we have to be very, very, very focused and very adamant about bringing in quality companies who understand the value of a negotiated agreement and union workers because they're also held to expectations. You know, there's a, there's a myth that when you work in a union, you're protected even if you're a bad employee. Nah, not really. We hold each other accountable. And I've worked on the management side, and I've worked on the union side. And in the entertainment industry, um, I negotiated with the IATSE union, and they're serious. But I will tell you, you get the best of the best. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we talked about public safety. We talked about education. We talked about, oh, let's talk about the the temperature, the feel, the dynamic within the community right now. And, of course, it always gets crazy um, during election years. Um, I usually, by the end, by the time we get um, to our annual meeting in October, I'm exhausted and I hate everybody and I'm mean <laughs> to everybody. And I, you become I a cry, <laughs> I cry yeah. several times a day and I call Brian and I scream at him and it's not his fault and um, I do all of that. Um, the the temperature for this um, in this last little bit and that this uh, the county commissioner race is being talked about on a state level um, is shocking to me that that's happening. So give us give us your um, like if you're going to give a snapshot or explain this to somebody who was living in another part of the state or even another part of the country, can you sort of characterize what's going on here? Well, you know, and I'm happy to tell you exactly my journey in this Mm -hmm. because it's been publicized. And um, when I was um, put on the primary ballot and well before I won to go to the general, um, Commissioner Ortiz told me that he was going to support the Republican candidate. He was very forthright Mm -hmm. in March. And I asked why he would do that. And he felt, just as he had stated, that he wanted... He, and I'm going to be, and I'm going to be careful about this because I don't want to misquote him, that he felt a loyalty and that he wanted somebody that would help him finish the work he'd been doing. And I think Commissioner Ortiz specifically speaks about Joe Martinez Boulevard, which I know was brought to the commissioners way back, probably with Commissioner Pace. And I think it's a great idea and I will support it a hundred percent. We need a conduit. I do a lot of work in Pueblo West. Pueblo West people are part of our family, and we need to connect. It's ungodly to go back and forth on one road. And also to create the, you know, the the spirit of that collaboration. So the other was the jail. And so I was a little disconcerted by it, but certainly I hadn't even won. Anything could happen. And then after the election, I know that... um, the commissioners were uh, very forthright about making an endorsement of the Republican candidate based on the um, the the need to have support, someone who would carry through with Commissioner Ortiz's, as he called it, hard work. So, um, yeah, it's a little disconcerting um, on a lot of levels. I I have been quoted to say that I think. In local races and in local government, 
arguably we should look at whether these should be partisan based on the needs for our community. Uh, I've always said that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not so sure that it is um, prudent to do something like that midstream. It was shocking to the party. It was shocking to people who were supportive. I was, uh, I was disconcerted only because, frankly, um, I think I have exceptional background experience. I will support those projects. And I believe what I bring to the table, none of them have. Mm-hmm. And they bring things that I don't have. And I think that's the balance you need. When I moved back to Pueblo years ago, I created a very ad hoc group with Margaret Mora, Teresa Trujillo, Senora Cruz, Rita Martinez, a group of women called Women in Government, the Coalition for Women in Government. Let's bring more women to the table. We're that kind of community. Let's have that balance. And there was some action, and then it waned. So for me, I'm looking at it going, I am a woman. I'm a woman of color. I have worked in community. I do work with a number of of entities and issues. My learning shelters during, during the, the COVID. I mean, we put kids in school during COVID mm-hmm. when the school shut down. You know, the teen suicide prevention piece, the D70 bond that I led, Boys and Girls Clubs in Pueblo West for the first time. This is a good partnership for that particular group. Not to say that my opponent doesn't have a skill set, but he doesn't have this skill set. And with all due respect, and I said this publicly, I'm not so sure that in government, and this isn't just directed at my opponent, this is in all levels, we can't afford to make these expensive internships. you got to come with something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to come with more. People are tired of people learning on the job, and then they're going, well, wait, what happened? Anything could happen, and anybody could go in and be wunderkind, but I think it became a confusion to me um, that, and I'm running against my opponent and no one else, that uh, there wasn't an opportunity for me or whoever made the primary unto uh, the general from, from the Democratic Party that any of us would not carry that skill set, that loyalty, and that collaboration. So... Um, you know, it's very confusing, and, um, I, you know, I've been asked if you're elected, and I hope so, vote for Roxy. I Can I work with uh, the two sitting commissioners? Absolutely. It's not about us. Mm-hmm. It's about you. It's about all of us. And um, there's nothing more rewarding to me than to be the peacemaker, be the collaborator, find the solution. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I do that, so... So regardless um, of the outcome, November 9th, eight. Uh, is it 8th? Yeah. Um, well, that's when the election is, right? Is it November 8th? Correct. It? Okay. It's so November. On, so right. November. <laughs> it's so, come around the corner. <laughs> um, on November 9th, regardless of what the outcome, you're not going to stop being a leader. Ever. Ever. So how do you start to bring everybody together? What do you do to bring everybody together? Because regardless of what happens here, that mantle's not coming off. So how do you do that? You mean in terms of anything I'm doing? What is well, my I'm attack? saying how do, you, how do you bring everybody together? So after this kind of um, Riff. what you just described, yeah, yeah um, how do you bring everybody back to the table and make them a, a 
part of the team, a part of that family? Well, you know, it's something that I always tell my students when I was teaching. I said, you know, guys, when there's unrest, why are you picking on each other? Why are we treating ourselves in a way that we are not worthy, that we are not patron? People in Denver, and I remember going to Denver as a young uh, leader. I was the first student body, female student body president in the history of a Colorado public high school west of the Mississippi. That's true. I didn't know that. Somebody told me. Um, and I told the kids we'd go up there, and we were treated so disparagingly as Pueblo kids. And I said, they only think that way when we think that way and we treat each other that way. We're a lot smarter than that. We're a lot tougher than that. We are an extraordinary people here. There is no one like us. In a lot of states. Are you kidding me? And so I think we have to love us, believe in us, believe in me, believe in you. When I have a project, I call people and I say, you know what? This is worthy of you. Let's come together. Let's work on this together. It's how I do everything I do. And I did go to the commissioners after and I said, you know what? I'm a little disappointed, but here's the deal. Let's get along Onward and upward is my phrase. We don't need to make people feel uncomfortable. We don't need to have anything tumultuous or anything disparaging. Our people are struggling enough already. We don't have to wear that. Mm -hmm. We're all bigger and better, and we're very smart in Pueblo. We really are. Sometimes we may not feel it, but I'm a teacher. I've seen these kids. More kids. Lately, our kids are winning every award on every level in Denver, and it's like... What's in the water? So um, I'll be inspired, I'll be creative, and I'll take us back to what is our purpose. And as a leader, is to do for others, not for you. I love it. I think that's a perfect place to end that. I have a few things to say. Oh, I, oh, give oh, the disclaimer. Oh, okay. I have the disclaimer. Um, first off, um, just want to give a shout out to CU. They're helping us with this academy. And, and um, oh, yeah. that's why I'm, they're not, we're not sponsored by them or anything, but I am wearing the hat that I got. So, um, and then our standard, um, Please. speech <laughs> action 22 does not support or endorse candidates during an election season. Uh, what we do is support our members. So if you are a member of action 22 and you are running for office, this is an open invitation to come on our show and just speak about your campaign, what you're about. Um, you can email us at show at action22.org. If you are not a member and you're a candidate and want to join and come and speak to with us, um, again, just show, S-H-O-W, at action22.org, org, and we'll get you on the show. And if you're not a candidate and want to become a member of Action 22, go to action22.org, and you'll see a link to email Micah, and he's the guy that sets up all our memberships. And, again, if you're not a member, you should be. We do good work. We do do good work. We um, we had a board meeting this last Friday, and uh, our board – we were discussing several things and, and our members bring stuff to our board for consideration for taking positions on different policies. Um, and they are all, um, they're all very aware and very high level on the issues that are actually going on, not just in Pueblo, but throughout our state and in their regions because we do serve 22 counties. Um, one of the things, there's two things that we, um, that I want to share with you that we talked about. One is the, um, 
um, efforts for forced electrification. And um, we're going to be speaking a lot more about those efforts. Uh, there, it's incredibly, um, it would be incredibly negatively impactful, not just on um, the costs of everything, but the housing crisis, workforce, um, the unions um, have very adamantly uh, come out and said how how hard this would be on them. And, and you know, when we're already struggling with all of these issues, it would exacerbate that. So our, our next show, we're going to go, uh, we're yeah. going to do a deep dive on that. So we'll talk about that. Um, we've got um, the meeting of the mayors, which is coming up uh, after the... Um, after the Labor Day, um, and it's all the mayors in the region are invited to come and have some um, next level conversations. Of course, the and this is not us, um, but we have um, the state fair coming up, and you know how us Pueblo kids are about the state fair. <laughs> you, we we get uh, we're pretty passionate about it. We're really excited about this. This is in our our uh, our collective genetic. DNA going back is our love for the state fair. Um, there's all kinds of great stuff going on. Um, this is really um, a, a comeback sort of uh, a year for them. Um, and so we want to support them. That's going on. Um, and then, of course, our annual meeting is October uh, 21st and 20, yeah, 21st and 22nd. But before that, there's going to be some interesting debates going on here in Pueblo. Um, you're going to get to see the all of these candidates debate on September. September 6th and 7th, is Correct. that right? 6th and 7th, so you'll get to see Roxy and Zach and people who are running for the state seats. Um, the and we're going to be, the, oh, oh, the yeah, sheriff. sheriff. Yeah, yep. the sheriff, yep, yep, the sheriff. So you're going to get to see all of those. And then um, this is an announcement, and I haven't even told my board this yet, so hopefully uh, before this goes up, I'll get a chance to tell them. Um, I will be moderating the gubernatorial debate that's going to be here in Pueblo on September 28th, and wow. that is the, the chieftains and um, the uh, Greater Pueblo Chamber. So I get to moderate that. Um, I'm excited about that. What else? Um, most importantly, um, where can people find out more information oh, yes, about you? Thank You're you. Right. Um, www.voteroxy.com. Okay. Pretty simple. Our www.voteroxy, no, voteroxy at gmail.com. I got both of those domains and <laughs> my, and my just, and my friend who's a graphic designer, Gregory Howell, who, you know, oh, yeah. he said, you got both of those in one day. You might want to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. Does nobody <laughs> named Roxy ever run? So yeah. www.voteroxy.com. Right, thank, thank you. Yeah. I still spell it wrong because I always spell it R-O-X-I-E, but I spell it wrong. So we're doing that. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, next week, we're going to have um, this discussion about forced electrification. And then we're doing something kind of exciting and different. We're going to um, have a roundtable with two candidates at the same time. It's just going to be four people in a room talking about the issues. So um, look forward to that. And get your spooky stories ready because we're going to do the Halloween episode again soon in oh, October. Yes. So we need stories. Really we need, um, you know. Have you seen a UFO? Do you have an urban legend? Um, anything like that from the Action 22 region, email it to me at show at action22.org, and we'll talk about it on our Halloween show. And Chad Forthman, I know that you're listening. Um, I know you're from Iowa, so the Iowa State Fair, yes, but I better see you front and center and your entire team <laughs> down here next week when you get back from the Iowa State Fair to enjoy the Colorado State Fair. We'll see you guys there. Come right our float.
Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.